Welcome to the Mental Health Business Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margot Jaco. Are you a clinician looking to find the balance between providing compassionate client care and business agility? This show will help with things you need to know to start or grow your practice and better serve your clients. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, thanks so much for joining us today. As usual, we have our co-host, Deanna Shoss of Intercultural Talk and Chris Pertell, our producer. Hi, Deanna and Chris. How are you? Good, Margo. Always so much fun to be here with you. Absolutely. How about you, Chris? How are you? I am doing great. Thank you. That's great. So I always love these segments. You know, I enjoy talking to all of our guests, but we're kind of a little team. We do a lot of work together. So the joy of being able to have these conversations is I think we really know each other. We kind of have a rhythm with each other. So they're very enjoyable as well. So Deanna, what's on your mind today? Margaret, I have a question for you today, which has to do with that evil word that begins with an M and it's called money. Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about money. Okay. <laughs> Clinicians are so used to the idea of compassionate care and caring for people comes so naturally, but you're still running a business. And to run a business, you've got to be able to make money. So I want to talk about that. You had to go through that own shift yourself as you've been building your business. How did you change your mindset around being comfortable asking for money for for the services that you provide? Oh, Deanna, what a question. So yes, this is something that I have had to work through inside of my own self on a number of fronts. And part of it is being a therapist and part of it is the type of work that I do and the relationships that I create with people, because that's really what's healing for anybody in therapy is the relationship. And also, I have rent, I have a mortgage that I have to pay at home, I have bills. So I do, I have had to figure out how to balance those out. And I actually, I was at a a small dinner with a group recently, a woman had come in from Florida, she owns a treatment center. And she was talking about the mission and how much they've sacrificed to put this together. And it's clearly a labor of their hearts at this point. And, and she asked what I do. And I told her, and she said, Oh, so you're for profit. (laughs) Kind of, I mean, you, you out there, you can't hear, you can't see my face, but it's, it's kind of, a sneer, like, oh, you're for profit. And I said, yes, and I'm proud of it. And she looked shocked. (laughs) And I thought, my gosh, for profit aren't dirty words. They don't need to be dirty words. So I said to her, and we didn't really have time to get in it, but I said, I'd love to talk to you sometime about why that, why you have that look on your face as we're having this part of the conversation. I'd love to follow up with you and talk about that. Actually, Margo, you and the person you were speaking with are not alone. In fact, Merrill Lynch did a study and it showed that 61% of women would rather talk about death than money. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's big. But what's interesting, even just looking at the idea of for-profit and non-profit, if you look at that strictly from a tax perspective, all that means is your is your tax structure. Because whether it's for-profit or non-profit, you still need to be able to make money to cover your nut. There's still expenses. 
And there's still a business equation that just needs to be to be covered. Nonprofit, the way she was using it, almost means losing money. But you you can't do that if you're going to maintain your energy and be able to pro- continue to provide the service. Right. Right. Well, and and what it felt like in that conversation with her was that she was speaking more to motivation. And are we suspect when? Part of our motivation is profit, is to make a profit from a business. So what I've had to do is I've had to really look at how can I really provide the best care I can for the people who work with me, both clinicians, clinicians and clients and admin staff, you folks, anybody who works with me, how can I provide everyone what they need still give really good care and still walk away having enough money to continue to grow the business and to do the things that I want to do in my life, quite frankly. So to, I think there's something distasteful for some people that we're profiting off of people's suffering. That's kind of the, you know, the vibe that I get is we're profiting off of people's suffering. Well, the truth of the matter is we're just being paid for our time. And if we can value our time, the market sets what we charge. Most of us haven't set that number. The market has set that number. You're charging. It's not only for your time, though. It's for your expertise. Yes. It's for the expertise and the deep compassion, care. But there was a lot of learning that has gone into that. Not only just the whole concept of getting a PhD, becoming a licensed clinical psychologist, but your whole philosophy, both for yourself and caring for your team is continuing education. So, right. so certifications in EMDR or somatic experiencing or whatever those things are so that you can continue to be the best expert that you can be in providing care. Exactly, Deanna. I think that's a really good way to put it is that the motivation in part, really has been, how do we keep providing the best care that we can? And now, as we've grown larger, one of the things we can do is we can provide health insurance for our staff. We can provide a retirement plan for our staff. We can send our staff to all kinds of trainings, as you mentioned. So that for-profit piece, a lot of that does go right back into the practice. But you know what? Even if it didn't, let's say somebody is just an independent therapist out there in the world, and they are feeling a struggle of charging what they are worth. And I'm doing air quotes because that's really tricky, boy, especially for women. I think we struggle with, I'm supposed to be caregiving. And what is my worth? How do I determine my worth? Also heard just recently, it's a woman, Marie Hale, who is all about empowering women. And I am focusing back on women because women tend to have the harder time of asking for what they're worth. That's right. Yeah. And her analogy for money, she said, money's just a piece of paper. Think of it as energy. And so if you're constantly giving, 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 but not getting any energy back, you get depleted. And that way of thinking of it, uh, twisted things a little bit to that. Well, of course you need energy back. Of course you need to refuel yourself to be able to provide services to others. Exactly. I think it's about being okay with asking for money and 
that's why, Margot, sometimes you as a business owner with other clinicians working with you, that sometimes is a decision that clinicians might make about whether they want to have their own practice. You can't have your own practice without being able to talk about money and ask for money. That's right. So if you want to be part of a group, which either one is both work as fantastic business models, but some people may prefer to be part of a group. Because now we are going to get into, Margot, a little bit about how you approach it because people come to be part of your amazing group, one, because of how you talked about how you care for clinicians as much as you care for clients, but now you get to have all those conversations and set all those rules. So how do, how do you feel about that, Margot? How's your relationship with money and how you use that to drive and build your business? Well, Deanna, it has been um, a huge evolution. So... I came to my adulthood with what I would call, and I don't like to throw around the T word, the trauma word, but there was a fair amount of it around money when I was growing up. There was never enough money. There was a lot of scarcity. There was a lot of arguing and fighting about money. So it was something that to me, I really struggled with. I struggled with having it. I struggled with getting it. I struggled with keeping it. I struggled with using it appropriately. I would give it away to people if I got it. I'd take people out and I'd spend, you know, I'd, I'd want to give it back to other people because it didn't feel okay for me to have it. So I really did have to work on facing what that was about. And what I came to eventually, I mean, I can speak now and part of it is age and part of it is a lot of therapy and really working on this, is that I've let go of whatever that was, that that was about my parents' issues with money. They grew up during the depression. There was a lot of scarcity in their lives. My father was an immigrant. There were a lot of things that brought them to that place, but that had nothing really to do with me and my life right now. And once I was able to get clear with that, what I realized was, that was my issue. Nobody else around me was needing me to take them out or give them money or be unclear about it. That was about me. In fact, it got things much more muddy in my relationships. It made it more difficult for clients when I wasn't clear. This is my fee. This is when it's due. This is what we're going to do if you can't pay me. So now this is what I teach therapists who work with us too. And quite frankly, to your point, Deanna, if, if somebody in the practice is struggling with money, and frequently that is the case, I'll say, look, you can tell your client this is just our practice policy. You and I can work on this other piece if you'd like, but this is just the practice policy. But what I have found is that people are really okay with us being very clear. So if we can be clear, they feel safer. It's like any other kind of arrangement. If I say this is my fee today and it's my fee tomorrow and it's my fee the next day, they know what to expect. They can budget accordingly. What's nice about that is you can spend time realizing that there's family issues, which is true. I'm not the therapist, the marketer, but I know that people's ideas about money starts from when they're little. So they're we little. all carry that with us. But you have these moments of, I'm going to change the world. I know how to do this. Take it. My advice is to take advantage of those moments and write down your vision of what it should be like. Because once your policies, and it sounds like this is what happened to you, once your policies are on paper, all of a sudden it's not you saying this is what we do. It's here's our policy. It's objective. Right. It's here. You can find it on our website. And so it can make it much easier where you don't have to continue to have those conversations all the time. 
Right. And sometimes, especially with clients, it can be really useful when we do. I have had clients say to me, you know, I if you really cared about me, you wouldn't charge me for this time. And we've had to dig into that. And so that's a point where I can't just say, well, this is our policy. That's a real clinical issue. So then I'm up against somebody else's vision, somebody else's issue. And if I get caught in that and I say, oh, my gosh, you're right. If I really cared, I wouldn't charge people for their time. We've missed an enormous clinical opportunity. We have now set ourselves up for something that's going to be really complicated in the therapy relationship. And I'm going to be out a whole lot of money. Mm. So, Well, that does sound hard because it seems like if if you already have a little bit of doubt in your mind about your relationship with money and then a client who's in pain or needs you challenges that, that feels very hard to not be defensive or to handle it in that moment. Do you have any advice for people on how to handle it in the moment? The first thing, and, and I can't stress this enough, is that we as therapists, we as people, need to have some way, some process to work through our own issues around money, whether it's scarcity, whether it's abundance, uh, whether it's I have to work, you know, I can't stop seeing 40 people in a week because I'm afraid I won't be able to pay my bills. Whatever that is, we have to work through that. So that's the place to start is we have to work through that. Another one that people get stuck in is, as I mentioned, they feel like they're not really being compassionate if they actually charge people for their time, or they'll slide their fee randomly. They don't have a system, a grid that they work from. So my suggestion would be, first of all, if you've got issues around money and you're struggling about collecting your fee, or you're struggling about hiring on other services that you need because you're afraid you have to pay for them and you're worried you're not going to have enough money to do that, you really need to work through that. That's number one. Number two is, have a system that is just that. It's a system. It's not just based on your compassion or on your gut about how you will go about doing a reduced fee with somebody if you choose to do so. That it's based on what their income is, that there's a, we do it in three month increments. I want to see somebody's W-2. I want to see what their pay stub looks like. If somebody has lost a job and they're on a fixed income, we might set up a very low fee for three months and, but then we're going to keep revisiting it. All of this keeps the conversation on the table and keeps us all aware that money is an issue in the relationship. We don't just ignore it. And I would say that was would be my second thing is make sure you're very clear about how you slide your fee. The third one is do your billing regularly. If you're working with insurance, do your billing regularly. People fall behind they fall behind on it. It's like, oh, I'll get to that when I get to it. I've got enough money in the bank. Clients are watching that. How you behave around your money is going to teach them how to treat you about your money. So if you do your billing regularly, they're going to understand that this is something that you take very seriously. So these are all boundaries within the relationship that have to do with money. That last one is really important for two things. One, if you don't send a bill, you will not get paid. That's right. So the- That's actually critical. And if you allow a billing to accrue, that's an opportunity for people to ask for a negotiation. Even though you've provided three, four, five, whatever, how many hours of incredible service, if you let that money accrue, 
then your client is looking at a big chunk and they're going to come back and try to negotiate. So right. that those are two really good reasons for, to do your billing regularly and not let it accrue. And not let it accrue. And even if you're just not billing the insurance when you ought to be billing the insurance, you're still communicating something to your client. And therapists don't necessarily think about that, that how we handle money with them is modeling about money, healthy relationships with money. And it's also communicating what this relationship is about because clients can forget that. They can forget that this is really a business relationship. And I can care about somebody very deeply in a business relationship and keep it a business relationship. So it, it helps you with those boundaries for sure. I would like to add one more thing to this. I know even in my own business, when it comes to billing, setting fees and things like that, there are people who I know who are just better at than I am. Mm -hmm. You know, I have one person I know, he always gets top notch for his billing or people who are not afraid to have those conversations. I like having those people on my speed dial. So if I'm about to have a conversation and I'm nervous, I'll just call them and be like, here's what I'm thinking of charging. What do you think? Yeah. And so that's nice to have that mentoring, that coaching, even if it's in those little snippets, just to get me geared up right before I have that conversation. That is so helpful. It's very helpful. And, and Dan, I didn't mean this to be a plug for the uh, consultation and coaching that I'm doing for practice owners, but I'll tell you, it is one of the things that many of us have conversations about. And I make sure that I bring it up. What is your relationship with money? How are you with collecting your money? Because I can't tell you how many people are out there providing the service, providing the service, providing the service, not getting paid. So I think as we've just illustrated a lot of the reasons why that's a bad idea. So folks, make sure you're clear about your relationship with money. If you have some things that keep coming up for you, get some consultation, some supervision, some therapy around that to get it out of the way and be very clear about your policies. Well, Deanna, thanks for asking that question today. You could, you know, you could see the look on my face. It's nobody's favorite conversation to have, I don't think. But I'm hopeful that this kind of information other therapists can take and start to work through their own resistance around getting paid. So folks, get paid what you're worth. Thanks so much for joining me again today, Deanna. As always, Chris, thank you for your wonderful production assistance. I look forward to talking to all of you again another time. Be well. You've been listening to the Mental Health Business Mentor Podcast with Dr. Margot Jaco. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe so you don't miss an upcoming episode and head on over to the mentalhealthbusinessmentor.com website for resources and additional information. Thanks so much for listening and be well.